Daniel chapter 4, verse number 19. It says in verse 19, upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. And Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would have happened to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. Now he's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, happens to be the most powerful man on the planet, king of the Babylonian empire. And he says, the tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great and your greatness reaches up to the heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and its roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze, surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. My goodness, Father, we thank you for truth. It's to transform us and to teach us and to prevent us from repeating similar errors and mistakes. Help us to live by what you teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And then goes on to say in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verse 34, after this time had passed, time that's just referred to in the previous passage of seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. I want to speak to you about something very important and sum it up at the end so we can apply it to how we get to live our lives. This is something that God has quickened to my heart for everyone, for each of us at this time. It's the story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel in the Hebrew means God is the judge. And when you are first introduced to Daniel in the text of his book, he's a young boy, he's an adolescent. He's 15 years of age when he's taken from Israel, the city of Jerusalem, and brought over to the Babylonian Empire. He's a a young boy, but he's fully committed to God. His parents have so taught him God's word, but the time he's 15, he knows never to bend in any direction when it comes to being to honor the word of the living God. And through through uh, 80, nearly 80, 70 years plus of his life living under that empire rule until he was at least 85. The scripture says this man was honored by this heathen culture because of the wisdom that God would speak through him. The word says that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the entire city, and he took captive the best and the wisest that Israel had. He left the sick and the infirm and the elderly to just fend for themselves. He took only the best back to to Babylon. And you pick up the story. One of those of the best that was captured was a boy named Daniel. And Daniel loved God. He served the Lord. He feared God. He was committed. And the word says that Daniel had reached the place, such a place of commitment, that he never would compromise, let alone eat the king's meat that wasn't kosher, as the rest of the culture was enjoying. And there were only four that we know of, of all those that were brought out of Israel into the Babylonian Empire, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, And out of a multitude of the best of Israel, the word only records that four stood strong. 
The word says that Nebuchadnezzar changed their clothing. He changed their names. He changed their language. He would not allow them to be called by their Hebrew names. And the king attempted to change their diets, trying to totally reculturalize them. But these four refused to eat or to change in their faith toward God. And Daniel kept praying and serving God. Number one, he was disciplined in his diet. He honored the word of God when it came to how he ate. Number two, he was disciplined in his work. The word records he had an excellent spirit, and because of it, he rose to the top governmental position in all of the Babylonian Empire. Number three, the word says he was disciplined in his daily prayer life. So in his work, his prayer, and his diet, how many of you would like to be disciplined in those three areas for the rest of the year and the rest of your life? The word says that Nebuchadnezzar had been an oppressor and an imprisoner of God's people. Let me show you something about King Nebuchadnezzar. It's very important. He's celebrated in history as one of the greatest kings who ever lived. To this day, Nebuchadnezzar is studied, and his leadership skills are still discussed. Saddam Hussein, he threatened to rebuild Babylon and be the next Nebuchadnezzar. Now, to recapture the fame and the domain of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar was a brilliant man. History records he was an architectural genius. He created the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. They became one of the seven wonders of the world. He had a brilliant mind, a brilliant war strategist. No one ever had seen anyone like him before on on the planet. He was a powerful oppressor. His oppression was different than that of Pharaoh's oppression because what he did, you might call an upscale oppression. If the devil can't get you to go real low, he'll take you really high. He doesn't care how he binds you. He can bind you with drugs out in a gutter somewhere, or he can bind you in a penthouse with everything around you until you give up hope and and take your own life. There are two times you need to be especially alert, when you've got nothing and when you've got everything. Nebuchadnezzar was kind of an upscale oppressor. He allowed the Hebrews he brought back captive to own property. He gave them some liberties. They could live in their own homes. And like people today, they swapped materialism, the majority of them, for their walk with God. The Israelis, except for four, were doing that under Babylonian rule. And Satan says, that's fine. I can give you upscale oppression, or I can give you low-scale oppression. It doesn't matter to me as long as you don't worship God, as long as your heart is far from him, as long as you don't have time for his word, as long as you just punch the church clock once a week religious, but not a worshiper. Satan's okay with that. Nebuchadnezzar puts out his decree, and there are only four who say, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing this. We're not going to go for it. We're not going to bow to this God you have created out of gold. No, they, they did not sell their souls for status or security. And watch, can you imagine King Nebuchadnezzar when he rides into Jerusalem the first time? He's conquered the people that Pharaoh could not conquer. None of the Hittites, Moabites, Canaanites, none of the 31 kings of the promised land could defeat the Israelites, but he conquers them, and his chest is puffed out. He knows he's arrived, but he made the mistake of thinking when he defeated God's people that he had defeated God himself. So he was proud and arrogant. He built an immense empire, an amazing empire. Babylon was the beauty of the day. It was an historical masterpiece, the most prosperous kingdom on the planet. 
the Mecca for education and the arts. He won war after war. He was successful, content, prosperous. He believed, I've got it made. I'm in total control. Then one night, he goes off to bed as his routine. He has no time for the God of Israel. He just gets frustrated by these four. He has no time for the prophets of God. He could care less about the God of Israel. That's the furthest thing from his mind. He's got his own God, and he is his own God. He's got it going on. So Nebuchadnezzar lies down, and God gives him a dream, and it took away all of his peace in one dream. And it made him so unrestful that all of his fame and fortune and money could not quiet him or, or bring any peace to him. He awakens, and he's so troubled and upset. So what did he see? He saw a tree. He saw a flourishing tree. The tree had birds on its branches, and the tree provided shade for people, and it brought comfort to many. It was laden with fruit, and the beasts of the field came from everywhere to be under it. The tree's influence was far-reaching. This tree produced blessings for the birds and the beasts and the people. It's amazing. And all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar hears a voice come out of heaven saying, cut it down. And he awakened. And the voice just didn't say, cut it down. The voice said, cut it down and bind up the stump. Bind up the stump of that tree, wrap it up, bind it up, and leave it alone. And so he awakens. He's frightened. He's disturbed. He's upset. He's thinking, what in the world does this mean? So he calls in all of his magicians, workers of evil arts, and his advisors, and they cannot answer his inquiry about the dream. They can't interpret it. Some Christians make the mistake of thinking that if people are not born again, that God can't speak to them because some of you wouldn't be here if God had to wait for you to walk into church before he spoke to you. Amen. God spoke to some of you while you were still out in the culture. God spoke to some of you when you were still using drugs. Some of you have what I call Jesus trouble. And when you have Jesus trouble, you don't want him, but he wants you. And you don't talk to him, but he keeps talking to you. See, And if you won't listen to him when you're awake, he'll speak to you in a dream. He'll wake you up out of your sleep, even while you're sleeping soundly and snoring away. And all of a sudden, the first thing on your mind, is Jesus really going to come back to earth? Or is there really a hell? Is there an eternity I'm about to face? And if he can't get you to listen to him while you're sober, he'll speak to you while you're high. God messed up King Nebuchadnezzar. So now the king calls Daniel in to interpret the dream. Daniel comes into the king's palace and says, King, I'll interpret this dream for you. You're the tree. You're prosperous. You're content. You're satisfied. You've got everything you ever dreamed of. But God says, you've got one more year before he cuts you down. You've got one year, Nebuchadnezzar. You better get it together. You've got a year to deal with some of this stuff in your life. You've got one more year. God was being very gracious to this king because he doesn't always announce you've got one more year before you've got one more year. You better remember this about God. God deals in time because he created it. And if God said one year, he knows exactly what 365 days look like. He knows that one year is 12 months. He's to the minute an accurate timekeeper because this infinite God has created this finite thing we call time. And because he said, you tell Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to give him one more year to get it together. And if he doesn't humble himself, if he doesn't change his heart, if he doesn't see a breakthrough in the way he's going about life, listen, if I don't see something turn around in his life, 
I'm tired of his lip service. I'm tired of him playing games and saying, yeah, he thinks I'm a great God. You tell him I'm going to check back in 12 months. This will be one big year in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. And immediately my mind shifts to the New Testament. When I think about the parable of the fig tree, Jesus is on his way to Calvary. It's the last week of his life. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he passes this fig tree, and the fig tree was supposed to be bearing fruit. It was the season of the year, and Jesus wanted some snacks. He wanted something to munch on. He needed some strength, and he needed strength to do what God was calling him to go do in the next few days. All of his 33 years was climaxing at this very moment. You see, this was the tree's moment. It was the time for the tree. Everyone has a time. Everybody has a year. Everybody has a moment. Everyone has a destiny. Everybody has a purpose. You can go 30 years to get to that one year. You might go 50 years to get to that one moment. This was the moment when that tree was supposed to minister to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This was the moment when that tree was to have produced. It didn't have any say-so in what its purpose was. When that tree was supposed to be giving nutrition to the Savior of the world, it was not producing. And this is the way with so many Christians. When God needs you to, to the most, you're doing your own thing. You're busy about other stuff. Just when God needs you to be spiritually minded, you go off doing your own thing. Just when God needs you, you think, I'm kind of bored with this daily grind of Christianity, day in and day out. I keep doing the same stuff. Yeah, I'm looking for something a little more exciting and a little different. I'm just not getting out of it what I once did. You have to remain steadfast because there's something God calls purpose. And you never know when you're going to have a collision with your destiny. And that day, that fig tree was not prepared for its day of purpose. Jesus said, because this tree is not ready when it was supposed to be ready, it's rebelled and stagnated and not fulfilling what I put it on the planet to do out of here. There are three types of trees. Beautiful trees, they're just pretty. Shade trees, they provide some relief. Fruit trees, this was a fruit tree. A fruit tree has no right to say to its creator, I don't want to bear fruit this season. He's the creator. We are not the creator. If God plans you, created you, saved you, we don't have any time to play games in rebellion. So Jesus said, I curse that tree. No man will ever eat fruit from that tree again. And let me submit to you, that tree missed its year. It missed its purpose. It missed its destiny. Now, go back with me into the old covenant and read once again about the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And I hear the Lord speaking into my spirit. Someone who hears this today, here we are in 2018, I look back over the last few weeks and days, and I realize that we better learn to number our days. Listen, as sure as you walk into the church and proclaim my word, God is going to visit us. God is going to do something great in our hearts and lives. God has a destiny for Calvary Christian Center. God has a purpose for why we are brought into existence and why we're here. And some people have given up on California and said, nah, no hope for the state of California. God has not given up on the state of California. God can still turn the hearts of people no matter where they put them. He can get to Nebuchadnezzar. 
he can get to the governor of the state of California. A divine moment in destiny. So turn to somebody and say, we've got one last opportunity. Come on, tell somebody. Now, let me remind you, you're not promised 15 more years. You're not promised 20 more years. Not, not one other day are you promised. And you get so busy, for perhaps by the end of this year, maybe you'll get 12 more months, one more year. And when you slipped into 2018, God gave us once again a fresh beginning. Let that sink into you. And we need to understand that's a gift that we have an opportunity this year. For some reason, this year is just flying by. So say to yourself, I have to be serious this year about my destiny. I have to be serious this year about God. I have to read his word. I have to become consistent in my prayer time. I have to be sure my tithes are paid. I have to discard stuff that's not a part of my destiny and purpose. I can't miss this moment. The Savior needs me. The King of Kings needs me. The kingdom of God needs me. I have to be what God's called me to be this year. And the word says, like so many people, Nebuchadnezzar heard the message. You've got one more year starting today. And God's going to check back with you in 365 days. And like so many, when they hear the word of the Lord, they get under conviction for a little bit. And they say, oh, yes, God, I know I need to get it together. I repent. I'm turning my life around. And the king forgot. Time went by continued to enjoy success, and he became very distracted. He got b- busy pursuing his own desires and his own gods, and goes back to his own ways and patterns, and, and, and he f- totally forgets the dream, totally forgets the message of Daniel. And, and just as God said, 12 months later, God comes back to check up on Nebuchadnezzar. Let me say something. This can be a milestone year for Calvary Christian Center the most significant year of our history. And I sense in my heart, something about this year is a big deal. I've known that since the the month of January of the beginning of this year. Listen, something about this year is a big deal. This is the year we have to be what God's called us to be. Amen? This is the year when we cannot be distracted by stuff. We have to go after God's purpose We have to get focused on the church and the body of Christ. He has always had a plan for this body. Listen, if I didn't believe that, I'd be elsewhere today. God has a purpose for our church. Do we believe that? And will we put action by faith behind it? Nebuchadnezzar got all lifted up in his pride, strutted around bragging, distracted by so many things he was able to put his fingers on. And God shows up. And while Nebuchadnezzar is still speaking and making his proud boasts, while he was talking, the prophet of God walks in and says, even now the kingdom is being taken from you. And here's what you've got to see in this. The beauty of the story is what I love most. In the dream, the tree was cut down, but it was the roots were not dug up. The tree was cut down, chopped down but it was not dug up. See, because there's a difference between being cut down and being dug up. Because if you're dug up by the roots, it means there's no chance you're ever going to live again. Notice the wording of Scripture. They cut it down and bound up the stump. In other words, I'm going to tie up the potential for a period of time. I will tie up all your possibilities. I will tie up your future. I will tie it up until you do what I told you to do. 
even a wicked king. Listen, I need to tell somebody, you've been cut down, but you've not been dug up. And what you need to understand is just because something's tied up doesn't mean it's over. And let me say what I sense in my spirit. This is a year, if you obey God, if you put him first, things that have been tied up, possibilities, dreams, and visions that have been tied up, children and grandchildren who have been tied up. Listen, finances that have been been tied up, health that's been bound up. This is the year God wants to loose that which has been tied up, bound, and limited, and held back. I thank God this is a great promise here. And how many of you had your potential tied up too long? Too long. You said your kingdom is departed. Understand there's nothing that you've got God can't take because there's nothing you've got he didn't make. And if he can make it, he can take it. He made you what and who you are. He made you a success. He made you somebody. And if he made it, you better be careful how you treat it because he can take it away because ultimately it's still his. And the kingdom was being taken from Nebuchadnezzar. And the word says, Then in that moment, he was driven from among his kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar became like an animal. Now, Nancy Pelosi wouldn't like that. But the scripture is pretty accurate. (laughs) He wasn't just acting like an animal. He began to look like one. He lived like one. He grazed and ate grass. Read it, like an animal. This had been a brilliant man. He was a genius. He's eating grass like an ox. And the word says his body was wet with the dew of heaven. He was out all night. He, he had no, no, no palace anymore. goes on record that his hair grew like eagle's feathers. His nails were like long like bird claws. He had gone insane. He lived in the forest, and he was eating down on all fours. This was a man who had everything. He was brilliant, and the king was at this place because he missed his year, his moment, his kairos, God-destined moment, the divine moment of opportunity, he chose to let it slip through his finger. And this is what happens when people, when they begin to walk away from God's destiny. You might not grow long fingernails like bird claws, but the longer you stay away from God, the more the old beast will start to rise in your spirit. And that's what gets me. Listen, I watch the news and I talk back in frustration. The pundits come on and they say, if we could just change the kids that are killing and gangbanging. And I listen to the chief of police from the city of Chicago get up and say, you know, what's frustrating is we let them out. And a week later, these same people who had illegal weapons and used them will find another illegal weapon to use them. And we can't be everywhere, arresting everybody all the time. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, why don't you allow the citizens to help defend themselves? What are you all doing? Okay? Because you won't let the good people own them, but you're letting the bad ones go back on the street and buy the illegal ones. Come on. Where's common sense? So I get get talking back to the television and talking back to the pundits. And, and, and somebody will get on and go, if we could change their minds with our progressive new education and pour more money back, biblical education turns the heart toward the Lord. Progressive education turns the heart away from God. And the end result is, of the current progressive education is an educated beast. That's all you got. You can put on fashionable clothes, give them CEO positions and organizations, 
and never become what God wanted them to become because there's a beast waiting inside to break out. And the only thing that can tame the beast, it's not money, it's not education, it's not clothes, it's not style, it's not location. The only thing that can tame the beast is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's the only thing that can change the heart. And here's how I know that, because if we could have seen some of you before God got hold of your life, you would have looked like Nebuchadnezzar, for sure on the inside. Even your eyes were affected by being high and hung over. Your color was washed out. You slept in your clothes. You threw up. You lived like a beast. And the only thing that could tame the beast was the Holy Spirit. I thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. How about you? I do. And if you keep walking away from God, you'll turn into a beast. You miss your moment and you regret it all your days. You walk away from his moment and you'll have no self-respect. You start doing stuff you thought, I'd never do that. And I've watched young men and young women when they've walked away from God and lost their self-respect. You won't treat others right because if there's no God, there's no honor. When there's no God, there's no dignity. When there's no God, there's no self-respect. When there's no God, there are no values except the ones you create for yourself. King Nebuchadnezzar lost everything. For seven years, that tree was cut down, but not dug up. And the stump was bound up in seven years of living like an animal. The Bible records something. And he wasn't just looking like an animal. He was thinking like an animal. Because, you know, animals can't talk. So he, he has left the human level. He's no longer conversant. Bird claws, hair like, like feathers, a wolf man. He hadn't shaved or been groomed in seven years. He's living like an animal in the forest. And the word says after seven years, and I read it to you, it says he lifted up his eyes toward heaven. Out there grazing in the field like an animal. And one day, just as much of sanity, a moment came back and he couldn't talk because animals can't talk, but he shifted his eyes toward heaven. And God understands body language. That's why you can't afford to cross your legs and fold your arms and raise your eyebrows in the middle of worship. Because God understands body language. Your wife does. I can tell you for sure, God does. Amen? You can tell instantly if somebody likes you or they don't. Your body language and posture during worship ought to show God how much he means to you. If Nebuchadnezzar could lift his eyes and get a response, what would happen if for us, if we lifted our hearts and lifted our voices and lifted our hands and lifted our praise and our worship? He lifted only his eyes. And I like what's recorded. It says, he blessed the Most High and praised. The word praised in Hebrew is barak, the same word Job used when he lost his family and lost his fortune and his health. When it was all taken, he said, blessed, barak be the name of the Lord. It's the phrase that emanates out of a helpless person, a sound that God hears from a helpless heart. God hears that cry when people don't have the words, people who've endured such heartache and pain and, and difficulty and sorrow. They've lost everything. One of their kids is on drugs, out destroying himself or herself, and you're watching it, 
and your heart is broken, you don't know what to do, there's a sound that comes up out of you called Barak, which is from the helpless person who can't do a thing about it. But then you utter that praise to God, and he begins to move in your direction. While you're yet speaking, I will hear. And if you live long enough, sooner or later, you're going to be in a helpless place where your strength and your money and your stuff can't get you out. And that's when you've got to lift up your hands and say, God, I don't even comprehend it, but I will praise you anyhow. I wish people in the church today would barack when they came to the house of God, when you can't help yourself. When, listen, when you can't do a thing about the situation, praise him, barack. Someone needs to understand in your circumstance, God's waiting to hear your praise for him. And here's what I'm led to leave with you. As that king lifted his eyes and from the heart began to praise God, he began to change. As he praised, God began to untie the stump. As he praised, God began to loose his future. As he praised and recognized the one true God, God loosed up all his potential. As he praised, God loosed up everything he had lost. As he praised, God said, what was dead now lives. What was lost is now found. Do you comprehend the moment of when you begin to praise God and humble yourself and recognize without him, we are nothing. I don't know what you've lost, but your praise can unbind your stump and you can live and grow and flourish again and sprout new branches and leaves and foliage and produce good fruit once again. That unbound stump will come back to life if you acknowledge who God is in your life. When you begin to cry, I'm tired of being bound up. I'm tired of my stuff being bound up. I'm tired of my children being bound up. I'm tired of my future being bound up. I'm tired of my dreams being bound up. I think I will praise him until he unbinds and looses my future. And that stump, that's all left. Barak. Barak. Go ahead and Barak. When you don't know what to say, when you don't know how to describe it, when you've lost the words, you Barak. In the Hebrew, it's an interesting word. The king is on all fours. He lifts up his eyes to the heavens and he got God's attention. And God loosed his tongue and he begins to speak and he says, bless the God of heaven. Barak, the God of heaven and the word. Listen, this man who's done such evil in his life, God is giving him another opportunity. He's given him a second chance. He's got a plan for him. And he does for every person, no matter how far they've gone. And the word Barak means to rock back and forth in worship. And the Jews in Israel do it. And we go to the Wailing Wall and visit that great place. You watch the cultural Jews as well as the practicing Jews approach the wall. And they put their prayer request inside the cracks between the rocks and back and forth 
back and forth, back and forth. They rock and they cry and they're barocking. And listen, God is hearing their cry. Sometimes when you don't know what to say, you stand there and you just barack, Lord. That might mess up some of your denominational thinking. It might mess with some things that you've been taught that you should be quiet in church. I don't know where you got that, but all I know is it tells me in God's word, when we enter his, his gates, we should come in with thanksgiving. When we walk into his courts, we should come with praise. We should be thankful unto him and bless his name. Barack him, barack him. There's power when you humble yourself and you begin to praise the Lord to take off your pride and put on the garment of praise, exchanging it for the spirit of heaviness. Sometimes you just need to give God a wave offering because I have too much to lose not to praise him. You praise him and you worship him from a heart. That's a true act of humility. And whenever you show God humility, he responds. Show him pride, he also responds. The word says the king's mind came back because he's the God that heals past memories. Never limit God. Don't believe the lies out of the pit. What God did for Nebuchadnezzar, he can do for anybody. Understand, seven years. Your seven years are over. Whatever has bound you up, he will restore you with an opportunity. He'll restore the open doors. He'll restore what was kept away, but has now been re-dug up. The seven years are over. Whatever you've been believing for that's been bound up, seven years are over. And I'm not just preaching you a message, I'm prophesying to you today. Whatever has been bound up, if you'll barack, God will loose it. He will loose it. He will loose us. He will loose you. God can loose up your finances. He can loose your health that's been bound up. He can loose your children that have been in bondage. God can loosen up that vision and that dream that's been bound up for years. God will loose it. And I love what Nebuchadnezzar said. He said, my sanity returned. And I praised and worshiped the Most High God. His rule is from everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. I preached it. Who's going to take him at his word? Who trembles at his word here today and says, I need the Lord to loose up what's been bound in my life? With that, let's stand together and let's honor God for a moment. Would you do that? Just honor.